It's upfront and it's candid. This is Unrestricted. And this week's show is a good friend of mine, a man that I respect so damn much. He is Minnesota sports icon and Hall of Fame sports broadcaster, the mighty Mark Rosen. Enjoy the show. This is brought to you by Douglas and Todd Small Batch Bourbon. It's Minnesota made and nationally recognized gold medal bourbon. Douglas and Todd has aged over five years, that's right, five years in white American oak barrels, and it's subject to the drastic temperatures of the Minnesota North Country, and all that cold and heat, well, it allows the barrels to breathe much more frequently, which gives it that smooth, award-winning taste. They also believe in a regenerative system of distillation. What the hell does that mean? Well, all the wheat in the corn is grown just 30 miles from the distillery, Then the fermentation waste is used back at the farm for cattle feed. That's what that means. It's eco-minded and taste approved. It's Douglas and Todd bourbon. Please enjoy responsibly 21 plus bourbon whiskey, 46 and a half percent alcohol by volume produced and bottled by Ed Phillips and Sons Company, Princeton, Minnesota. So we're going to do a, we're going to do a, just a rolling start. So this is it. Yeah, we we are hot. Your your mic is hot, dude. Just just as let's you go are. for it, Ben. I'm excited. <laughs> well, the reason why um, I asked you to come on this podcast first, this is the first ever one that I've done, um, was that I really want this to be conversational. Mm-hmm. This whole format mm-hmm. I want it to be conversational, and I don't think that a lot of people realize that when you and I are on the radio together, and it's only one day a week, you know, right. just Thursdays on the power trip, that a lot of times we have we carry our conversations from the hot mic and a live mic into an off mic conversation, and you know just like what a week or two ago, correct? You know we sat we sat in the hallway for twenty minutes. It was great, and we could have sat there for yeah. thirty minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, you and I, I think have a really good feel of just we can talk about things, we can disagree with things, and we can just talk about it. And a lot of times we kind of end up in the same spot. You know, and so um, I'm honored that you're here with me uh, today. We're going to do this, and uh, and that's let's just, let's just rip. You know, let's absolutely. Talk. I'm, let's, I'm, and hey, uh, you know, we, we were talking off mic a little bit just about you're running again. You, yeah. I mean, you are <laughs> you are HOF broadcast immortality, <laughs> and uh, you took some time off, and now the football season started, and you're running again. Yeah, it's interesting, Ben. I mean, I feel like you know I could use the old line from The Godfather, you know, they keep bringing me back in. But um, it's true. I I I have really just trying to find a balance. Everybody in in their life, especially right now with everything going on, um, trying to find a balance in their lives uh, to, to between you know you do it with your kids and your in your job and your wife and in your personal life and and I I definitely um, after leaving WCCO television in uh, January of 2019, I really kind of pulled the plug other than my normal commitments to KFAN. And then the Vikings came to me and said, hey, we'd like you to do, you know, like the Kirk Cousins show. And uh, then that transitioned into this year where unexpectedly they asked me to <laughs> host an hour pregame show at when the Vikings are home and an hour, basically an hour postgame show every week, uh, whether the Vikings are home or away. So, yeah, I was. I had to go through a lot of kind of soul searching about it. To be honest with you, because I wasn't quite sure if I really wanted to get back into that. Um, but it all kind of stems from being at home at night. 
I mean, it's um, it's extremely important, man, to, to, for me to be home at night with my wife. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I can be very honest about it. I'm not going to go too deep in the weeds about my wife's personal situation. Everybody's aware that, you know, her health mm-hmm. situation is not good. She's got brain cancer. But, you know, I think every individual has to look at, at um, and I've talked to my therapist about it, you have to kind of keep moving forward. I, I, and that's what I'm doing. I mean, it's important for me to continue these relationships, both in person with my friends here at the station and even from a work standpoint, to kind of uh, keep moving forward. Uh, it makes me a better caregiver, honestly. It really does. And I don't do anything without, uh, obviously, discussing with my wife, my therapist, and, and understanding there's a lot of soul-searching that goes into it and say, this is what I can handle uh, without beating myself up too much and doing what I did years ago when I would be working at 9 a.m. in the morning on biking Sundays and getting home at midnight. Uh, that's a whole lot different, but um, it's an energy level that you know that you have to kind of dig deep in, and I found that was difficult on Sunday, to be honest with you. It was a real transition for me to go, because there's an adrenaline rush that you have to hit when you're on live TV for an hour, with all commercials in particular, and I hadn't been there. Yeah. I, I mean, it was foreign to me. I was like, whoa, we did that halftime bit last year. I mean, yeah. that was, you know, yeah. that was nothing. I mean, yeah. I was... Yeah, that was quick. It was, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, that meantime, happened really quick. Oh, That's yeah. That's like two minutes of two being minutes, on... Yeah. And that's not even broadcast. That wasn't no. broadcast to everybody outside the stadium. That no. was just for the Jumbotron and people in the stadium. And yeah. now you go into having not been on TV for a while and then boom, guess what? You're you're live. And like yeah. you said, the, the format of this show, that particular show is there's not there's not any breaks. No. Not a lot of breaks. No. And so um it's understandable that I think that you would feel a little apprehensive. Oh, I a was little, a, a little a little anxiety, but but didn't that also feel kind of good to have those butterflies again? It did uh, when it was over. Um, <laughs> when it was happening, I wasn't quite sure. Even halfway through the show, I'm going, "Man, I got to, I got to dig deeper here." Uh, but you know, it's like it's sort of like um, I think the players on the field. It's like, oh, I, re- I remember what this was like. I've done it for my entire life, but I got to get back to that point now. And I'm sure from now on, it's going to be a lot more relaxing for me. But yeah, I was ex- absolutely exhausted Sunday night. I mean, I, I did that. Obviously, it didn't help by sitting in an empty stadium, having no atmosphere, and just oh, being dragged brutal, brutal. down. Man, it was. I, I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to be as bad as it was. But anyway, I mean, I did that, and then you know, I had to wait another hour. Then you know, we stuck around, and did a post game. So you were part of that. Bursich was involved, and, and then you know, went home and started you know grilling burgers at six o'clock. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, <laughs> that was interesting. Uh, and then you kind of get into a different routine. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a balancing act as much as anything. But it's also, um, I don't mind saying it. Like I said, my therapist has, has told me, too, it's really important uh, for me to continue on my path. Right. And to, to find things that yeah. it, it just helps. I can't yeah. sit home all day. And I right. just can't. And it's not healthy for my wife. It's not healthy for me. Um, and I understand. Trust me, I understand when I have to pull back um, and what's important and when it's going to be important. Uh and it, it just hopefully will work out. But I'm not overextending myself because I am home every single night. Yeah. Well, the the interesting thing is that I don't think you're not alone with that. Yeah. Now, I know, I know it's a different scenario because sure. because your wife is is sick and does need you at times. But man, I think mental mental health, especially now during this this yeah. COVID situation, I, I think that just people human beings need to work. You know, whether mm-hmm. whether you're a primitive human being that that is out there just hunting and gathering, even if you go out and hunt and gather that one day and you don't come up with anything, right? there's a process to going about that that person's day to say, like, 
this is my purpose. I need to go put food on the table or, or this rock or this stone <laughs> for my for my cave family. But I don't think that's ever left us, you know. So and it's a and you've got to go. You're going through. I'm I'm guessing a really weird. Um, exploratory deal with yourself of like, I know what makes me happy. Right. But also how do I not neglect the person that I love? Absolutely. And it's a fine balance. And I think that you mentioned, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about mental health. And I think everyone's situation is different. And I, I, I get up in the morning and I go, man, I, I, I can only imagine what school teachers are going through and what parents with, you know, everybody's got stuff on their plate right now. I mean, there's no one size fits all for anything or anyone. Um, I've learned a lot through uh, therapy. I, I really have. I have a wonderful woman I work with um, who I, I lean on and for advice about exactly what you're talking about, that mental health aspect. We mm-hmm. had a conversation even the last you know, 48 hours about it, and it really helps give me clarity about what is important. And, and it is important for all of us to, to find that, especially now, because many people, as you know, uh, aren't, never leave their home. They have to work from home now. They're, they're working virtually. They don't have that person-to-person contact, that social interaction with their coworkers, that it's just everything, it's all about, that's who we are. We have to interact with each other. And I, you know, we walk the hallways here at KFN. I mean, I have so many friends I haven't seen since March. Yeah. I mean, that I, you know, in terms of, you know, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And, and it's, a, it's a really cozy kind of group and it's a, it's a tight-knit group, even if you, you're not going to go, go to a movie or a restaurant with them, but you, you're working with them. Yeah. And it's, 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 I, at least we have that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm very, very, feel very blessed that I come in and, and, and hang out with those knuckleheads in the morning. I got to deal with common every day in the afternoon, but I wouldn't want it any other way. You're right. I mean, it's just, uh, it gives, you know, it's, it gives you some uh, real live interaction. And I think that's what I hope all, everyone who's listening can have, find that way. And it's harder and harder now because people are very, uh, hesitant to, yeah. to for, to a great extent, to, to reach out and do much of that. Well, we have, we have as a society talking to friends, we are forced mm-hmm. to find a balance between right. work and life. And then when it comes to work, what does that balance look like? I've got a buddy that works in a, he, it's got a corporate, he's got a corporate job and mm-hmm. uh, he's sort of on top to where he's a decision maker. And they've had conversations internally with their, with their big uh, company that when we go back when all, when all this is kind of over and, and we are, quote, unquote, back to normal, he said, we don't know if the work schedule, the five-day work week is going to be what we go back to. And I said, well, what can you say about that? What, what have you guys talked about? And he goes, we are looking much like schools, a hybrid model, where we value the interactions, the things that you're talking about with being at, being at mm-hmm. work, you know, walking through the sales floor, just even if you're not talking to those people, you just feel the you see energy. Them. You right. see them. You know, you might you might uh, see you know Jeff and and Jeff's got a big chaw in his mouth, and you just like, <laughs> "What's up, Jeff?" You know, it's right. like, right. And, and that's all. That's all it is. You yeah. know, it's there's a, there's that energy that you can feel, and and he's saying we're losing that with all these Zoom calls. So right. their idea was, we're going to have five day work weeks where Monday and Friday are. That's, that is an at-home, flexible, we're going to give you that because people want family time. But you got to be available from the, the regular working hours. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we mm-hmm. want you in the building. Interesting. We want you there. We want to be able to you know, have discussions in person, mm-hmm. have those things, not communicating over email, touch and feel each other on, the, on these certain things. And then you essentially, if you get your work done, can have a four-day weekend 
whether it's at your cabin or, or sitting on your couch, you don't have to put your clothes on if you don't want to, and we'll give you that flexibility as well. So it's going to be really interesting as we go, go forward what the regular schedule looks like. Yeah, we all think back to early March when we were doing what we were doing for the, you know, really the last time. Uh, and it's sort of like, you know, where were you when we were, uh, where were you moment? Um, like we mark with big events in history that our brain always consumes and never forgets. And I think always have those stories and remember where you were the last time. I mean, I was supposed to be going to Sid Hartman's 100th birthday lunch at Lou Nanny's restaurant. And Bob Hagen, the longtime PR director for the Vikings, called it. Oh, Rosie, we're not, we're not, we got called it off. And I went, yeah, I probably figured yeah, it was going to happen yeah, that yeah. way. But that was kind of one of those markers. But before that, and I think the point is, <clears throat> we think back to when we were, I was on a family vacation down to Key West. And I think, and, um, you know, we saw the cruise boats coming in. That's when all those people were kind of tra- were trapped in that one boat. And we hear the stories about where no one wanted to, you know, they were lost at sea, basically. And we're kind of uh, we listening to it, paying attention to it, but we were going about our business. When is that going to look like? I mean, and, and that's just, that was on a vacation. And then you go back to work and thinking, is that workplace ever going to look be the same? I mean, even when we get vaccines mm-hmm. and the coronavirus hopefully is come and gone and, and but is it ever going to be the same? And, and probably not. And this yeah, is, probably not. And uh, I think the social aspects of that, I mean, it's just, I mean, everyone craves it right now. And I know there's a lot of people who are very concerned about it. I mean, uh, the mental health issue uh, with young people in particular, I think, um, and older people, uh, I think it kind of runs the gamut, but in particular younger people, and they have to have that socialization with their friends and everything. Man, there's no substitute for that, and it, I, I, it's it's a little scary to think of what's substituting for that. You know, what road does, does that are the kids going down? And parents have to work from home; they may not be monitoring their kids as much. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that people, less people smarter than me, can try to lean on. But I, I just think it's um, it, it's going to be a head scratcher. It's going to be a, it's going to be a real long transition. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the the young kids. My wife pointed out to me a an article that she was forwarded from a friend. Mm-hmm. And it was from the Wall Street Journal. And this may have been a week and a half, two weeks ago. And this gal that was featured in the Wall Street Journal said something to the effect of, and she's she is a like clinical expert, psychological yeah, right. expert in the juvenile brain, in the whole debate about whether the kids go back to school or not. And she was saying that it's not their fault that these kids crave social interaction because right. in their in in her field of expertise, they've done the research where. Kids, basically adolescent kids from 14, really up to 21 years old, they there is a dopamine craving to mm-hmm. be around people. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they don't know how to express that and they don't know how that feels from that level. But all their brain is telling them, go hang out with your friends. Right. Like you got you, like you got to go hang out with your friends. And there's and she said it's such a, it's such an impressionable time in their lives that you can see why the kids that don't have a lot of friends and maybe get shunned from those social groups, turn out a certain way as an adult because it's so formed and so uh, malleable at that age. And now we're in a situation where we're keeping kids away from each other. So we may never know what the effects are going to be for years to come. Yeah, I think it's been challenging enough for kids um, with before this happened with the cyberbullying and all the things that, that have ostracized some kids and, you know, if, you're, if your son or daughter is kind of shy or doesn't in, in with the in-group, you know, even before the pandemic, you know, there were, there were difficulties because of the way people communicate, the kids communicate with each other. Now with this, exasperates it even more, I think, that, that you know, how do you, how do you get that back? And what is it, what's it doing to their brains? You know what I yeah. mean? And, and 
um, you know, and, and knowing that we have that opportunity as, as adults <laughs> to still interact with, with each other um, and have that connection and, and kids don't, um, man, I mean, that's why sports is so important. Uh, anything extracurricular after school stuff is important. Just having that connection. And at the same time, it's what we're seeing sometimes with these college campuses right now. People going, well, you see this party over here? A uh, guy in Madison said, I'm going on to pick up my daughter uh, because she's already got her, her uh, dorm room's already been exposed. I got to go pick her up and take her back home. Kids are kids. High school, college kids, they're, they're like a moths to, to light. They're going to go party. Couldn't agree That's more. what yeah. they're going to do. Yeah. And then some of them are going to be more responsible. That's going to happen. But a lot of them just going to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go hang out with my buddies. I, I know, well, think about any anybody that, and I don't care where you you sit, whether or not kids should be back college campuses, right. college age kids should be back on campus or not. But if you're going to have the argument that, well, you sh- you shouldn't get together, they got to be responsible. You'd be lying to yourself if you weren't put in that same position at that age, Correct. at that in that part of your life, that you wouldn't want to go out. And have and go to a house party. Maybe maybe it's not a bar. Maybe you're responsible enough to be like, you know what? I get what's going on, but I'm not going to go to a crowded bar with several hundred people. Sure. But why can't I go with my friends to have a house party of 30, 40 people of people that I know? And if you're going to criticize those kids, I, you are the you are the most boring fucking person that, that ever existed. Yeah, <laughs> we can swear on this. Yeah, we can swear on that. Um, <laughs> You 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 would have been you would have sucked to hang out with if you're 22 years old and you're like, well, I'm going to be responsible and well, I'm not going to do. They're like, well, then stay at home. Then. Kids have, you know, and you'll find this out <laughs> when they get out of high school. Really, for the first time in their lives, I remember going to orientation with my son down in Chicago. You know, they don't have a curfew. This is not mommy and daddy saying you got to be home by midnight. Right. Bring the car home. So it's their first blush of saying, you know what, I'm on my own. The best. You've got to grow up, skin your knee, you've got to figure this out. If you get in trouble, you've got to take – got it's your personal responsibility. So that's all part of growing up. And part of this, unfortunately, in the middle of all this is the pandemic and you're going, well, I get it. And yet you've you got to be – you know, you're not going to call mommy and daddy to say, can I – you know, uh, I got invited to this house party. Can I go? Yeah. You're not going to ask your parents for permission. You're going to probably go. And if, if at some point if you feel unsafe and your, your instincts are kicking in like, ah, this doesn't feel right, then go. I mean, you can still go home. I mean, is what I'm saying. Yeah. It, but no two stories are the same. No two people are the same. And no two people are going to react the same. And so it's, it's as adults, it's easy. It's, I don't want to criticize those kids. What are they doing? You know, get off yeah. my lawn. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's, – It's really easy to say that. When, when you're, you're 19 or 20 and yeah. you've got your first – Blush of real independence. It's easier said than done. Which is why, you know, to take this to a sports angle, yeah. you know, the Big Ten sounds like it's coming back. Big it Ten is. football, maybe the Pac-12 is coming back soon. You know, a lot of it was based on the rapid testing and all that stuff. Right. That's why from the very beginning, I was saying, these kids are safer in season. Now, if you're looking at the health aspect of these kids and whether or not they're going to contract the virus and potentially spread it around to other people – to the general population, don't you think that in season when you're at practice a lot, you've got a purpose for that week of playing whatever team you're playing on Saturday, uh, the coach has you pretty much on lockdown with the time schedule of, nope, you go to school from this this time to this time, you got to get your weights in, then we got film, and right. then we've got practice, and then we got film again, and then you're going to go eat, and then you're going to go study again, and you're gonna, then you're going to go to bed. It doesn't happen like that in the off season. That's not what your daily schedule is like in the off season. You get to go to school and you 
in a sense, get to be a regular student. Now, you still have to do your, your conditioning and your working out, but you don't have these long football hours during the off season. So what do you do? You go and hang out. You go and socialize. You go to a bar. I would go to – I've never been to, in my personal experience, I was never at a bar mm-hmm. on <clears throat> Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday night during the football season. But you bet your ass I was You're there, there. <laughs> in March if my buddy's like – right. Hey, you want to you want to go down to Lucky's? They've got they've got you know five cent wells or whatever uh, on a Tuesday night. I'm like, I'm there. We're gonna do that. I, I just I think that when you're talking about can you keep these kids safe during the football season? The inherent nature of the season is gonna keep them safe. I hope you're right. I think there's it's it's going to be an interesting hold on to your butts sort of run because um, you know the Big Ten is not going to have any weeks off. They're just going to they're going to start yeah. in middle, late October and just go for eight nine weeks, I believe it is. So uh, what happens? You know the positivity cases. You know it's not like the NFL where they're and they're going to be tested all the time, but it's going to be a different sort of situation and how tenuous is it going to feel or or be uh, when you're asking? You know I don't know how many. It's a lot more kids and a lot more areas are going to. They're not living in a bubble, but it is it is going to be, uh, and I don't know what's changed. I don't know if it's the testing part of it. Well, I think they're um, rapid testing. They, rapid they, testing. Sounds like they're going to have better access and more access to this rapid testing yeah. that, that has recently come out. And it sounds like if that is the case and this uh, myocarditis is not the number one factor. Which, which seemed is, to which be a big a, factor. It was a big factor. A month ago. Um, and, and it sounds like not that they're going to dismiss that because they're still going to test for that as these kids, if these kids become positive, but you're still creating a nice little bubble within that team. Yeah. So if you do have an outbreak, at least you know, right? Yeah. It happened at Baylor, I believe. Right. Uh, it happened at TCU. They've already postponed uh, games early on because there was a small outbreak, but they're able to isolate it because they knew exactly where these guys were. But again, the, the, the college experience, as you know, you've been doing college football for how many years now, um, after being at U.S. Bank Stadium and, and feeling how empty and, and awful that felt just as a you know as a media member, um, college football without packed stadiums is, I wonder what it's going to feel like and mm-hmm. look like, because it, 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 the pomp and circumstance of college football speaks for itself. The cheerleaders, the band, the you know, the the kids that are there, it's just, it's a rollicking experience. And how much of that is, is going to detra- take away from the actual, because the game is the thing, but it, the pageantry is also the thing. Oh, yes, yeah, it's the it's, best. It's, 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 no matter, you, that's why they talk about going to the big house. They talk about, even, and what the Gophers are starting to do here. I mean, they're starting, and, and the swell of enthusiasm for PJ Flex program. And now all of a sudden these kids are going to be like caged animals. They want to go watch their, their, their the Gophers play. They're not going to be – I mean, I don't know what the situation is. I can't imagine they have fans at all, I mean, at the beginning. I, I think I, the announcement said there is no, the Big Ten is not allowing any fans. Straight across the board. I think straight across the board, yeah, regardless of what your, what your state government but, says. Yeah. Well, again, and that's, that's, that's the lesser of two evils, as they say. Would you rather – at least you get college football, and from a financial standpoint, they'll get the windfall of the, the Big Ten network in particular. But it's still going to feel – Man, I tell you, I don't know. College, it's just kind of, I love the atmosphere as much as the game itself sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm even watching on TV because, you know, the shots of the kids in the stands. But, you know, it, it, it's, again, it, would you rather have this than no games at all? I mean, yeah, I guess so. But Yeah, and well, feel... let me ask you this then. I, I agree that the, the pageantry of everything, 
is what makes college football in a lot of ways for people better than professional football. I, I, I you totally know, agree. If you if you talk about college hoops versus the NBA, right. NFL versus NCAA, the people that are on the the NCAA side of things are saying, but it's but it's the rivalries and it's the pomp, it's the pomp and circumstance, it's the pageantry, it's the tailgating that's just epic, it's the student sections, it's the bands, it's all of that which make the game better, and it's and it feels less corporate. Um, so yes, we're, we are going to lose that, but I gotta, I gotta tell you, if they can do what the NFL did from the network level and granted, you know, Fox is covering these games, mm-hmm. you know, ESPN is going to cover right. these games. Right. They, they, they have both done NFL football. I thought NBC's Sunday night broadcast was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like they, the crowd, the, uh, the right amount of crowd noise that they pumped in for the, the viewing audience was great. The way that they shot the game was it didn't feel like there wasn't 70,000 right. fans there, right. you know. So hopefully from a viewing audience, yeah, we won't get some of those pretty B-roll shots <laughs> of, the, of the tailgates and, this, and the, the pig on a spit. But right, right. At least I think once the game starts, it's going to feel like a regular college football game. Well, and I hope, you know, that, that the players themselves feel like they're not, you know, for lack of a better term, they're not being used. That, they, that You know, this is a big financial windfall for the leagues and for them, but – you know, they're being protected. They feel they're being protected. They all want to play. I don't think there's any question that, you know, the, the kids want to play. Uh, and um, let's just all hope it does work out because I think it's, if, it, if, it, if, it, if something were to happen and it was, they had to cancel the season again, it would not be a – it would be a difficult thing to swallow for a lot of people. Yeah. Do you think the kids are doing the right thing? Do you think the kids are getting the right relevant information, process it, processing it the right way, in making an, an educated adult decision yeah. because they are adults. I think point. it's school by school. I think it really depends on the communication from um, – this is where leadership – it's all about leadership. And I think it, it starts at the top. I mean, obviously, I can speak to Minnesota, and you know what P.J. Fleck is doing. And he's been in their ear all along from this thing, from day by day by day. But it goes beyond that. It goes from, you know, Mark Coyle, the athletic director, the president of the university. All this stuff has to be communicated on a daily basis. So I think some schools which are more – Football factories may have a little bit different approach to it than you know, maybe at Ohio State's different than what PJ Fleck is doing, where it's you know, uh, damn the torpedoes, we're going to go and we're you know, if we get we get COVID, we get COVID, we're going to keep battling through it. I, I'm not just painting broad brush, but you know that there's there's that there's a thinking about that, you know, because it's like this is this is what we do here. This is our equivalent of Friday Night Lights. We play football at Ohio State, you know, Ohio State University. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna make sure everybody's you know on the same page with it. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting because it's not like the NFL where everything is really kind of down to the second. What we've seen the success the NBA and the NHLs had in their bubbles and Major League Baseball even after those early blushes of is, is, situations in St. Louis and Miami, man, they're they're gonna go pretty much full steam ahead here all right into the playoffs and they're playing in California and Texas. So. Yeah, I think that's kind of what has played into this decision now to reverse course, at least with the Pac-10. Who's going to see what yeah, see what exactly. happens with the Pac-12? Right. The, the testing's come around, and I do think that they've looked at the NFL and said, all right, if we can get something close to this testing, and we can kind of create these localized bubbles, <clears throat> may, why not try? And maybe that was my issue early on when Kevin Warren decided to close down the season was, why not try? You can always close it down. I mean – Shit, we can close down the United States economy in 24 hours. Right. You know, we can close that down. Now you can close down a football season just by snapping your fingers and saying, "We're done. Too many outbreaks. We can't control this. You're done." My issue early on was like, "Just try, just try it." My question: If you're a parent of a 
you have a son or a daughter and they're in the drama department, are they getting the same benefit of the same testing as the football players are? I mean, if you're concerned about they're getting the same exposure and they're, they're around 60 kids in, a, in an auditorium um, taking a class and, you know, the, the quarterback for the Gophers is getting tested every day, but your, your son or daughter who's, you know, trying to become the next Broadway star is not. I mean, where's the equality in that? I mean, that, I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that how that looks or sounds, but you can't, especially in a college environment, when we talk about student athletes, student being the first word all the time, should football players have an advantage getting tested on a regular basis more so than any other college student? You know, I would say a hundred percent, and and I think that. You're lying to yourself if you don't realize that there's a double standard. Now, you don't have to agree with the double standard, but th- there is not an equal opportunity. And it, and it is based off a tiered system. It, it mm-hmm. is. It's a mm-hmm. classism thing at, well, that happens yeah. in, in college. And we can, we can fight back against it as much as you want from, from the on-paper level. But when it comes down to reality, these, this sport alone, along with college basketball, pays for a lot of the things a university does. And you may say, well, bleep those athletes. Mm-hmm. They're, they think they're this entitled, this and that. But if you really drill it down, part of the university experience is because of that football program or because of that basketball program. So, yeah, as long as you don't I, – I kind of look at it like <laughs> as long as you don't rub it in their face. It, it, you know, if, if there's just a general understanding that, yes, your, your son or daughter may be in the drama club. And, and they're going to cancel the drama club for this fall because we, there's not enough adequate testing. Some of those resources have to go to football and basketball. You may be mad about that, but that's just the unfairness of life. You know, like I just don't think that you can make, especially in this situation, it 100% equal across the board. There's just not enough resources. Well, there's not enough resources, and we've seen the effects, unfortunately. And that, that genie was out of the bottle a long time ago when you talk about the, the, you know, the, the co- big-time college sports and that's a whole other discussion we could get into some other time, probably, you know, about, you know, should these players be paid um, beyond their scholarship? You know, that, that there's been a lot of conversation before the pandemic about that and how the universities are making so much money off the backs of these kids. And, you know, they're selling their jerseys. Meanwhile, they can't afford to go get much, much yeah. more than McDonald's. You know, that whole, you know, we've been having that conversation forever. This is a different, this is a different sort of conversation, but I think it's a reality that a lot of, a lot of parents are going to be feeling this fall as well, so. I mean, have you in your in your decades experience um, even seen anything as polarizing as what's going on now? And not just in and not just in what's going on in, in life, but with sports and how they've kind of intersected. And, you know, everybody's saying well, politics and sports should right, stay out of each right. other. But yet when you really look at it, politics and sports have kind of always been... They've always been together. They've always been tied right, together. Right. They've always had this loose connection. Sometimes that connection gets tighter, and sometimes it loosens up and feels like just tr- just true entertainment. Right. But, you know, I, I think the one that everybody kind of points to is Muhammad Ali. I mean... Well, yeah, you can... Ali is, is kind of a central figure in how he was ostracized, you know, not just by the United States government for failing to go to Vietnam, but by a lot of people, a huge segment of this population. Uh, I mean, you go back to John Carlos and, and Tommy Smith and what they did in 1968. Uh, I mean, there's been athletes who have spoken out, you know, about a lot of political issues over the years. But to answer your question, no, I haven't. I mean, I... I I was at the University of Minnesota during the Vietnam. We had I was out there protesting the Vietnam War, um, you know, and, and you never sensed that. Yeah, there was there were people that 
obviously wanted us that felt that was we were in the right being in Vietnam at the time. And at the time, many people felt it was the right thing to do. I get it. But uh, I think the difference right now is the world that we live in with social media. I mean, it's just we are bombarded on a minute-by-minute basis. Uh, kids are by messaging and divisiveness and, uh, you know, one-sided. And it, it's, it's, uh, it makes you uh, almost numb to everything that's happening. And, and I think that's where we are right now. And I, I kind of fear for these, not just the kids in college, the kids in college, but much younger age and how they're growing up in this environment. I mean, it is really uh, ugly out there. Uh, where you people are literally uh, losing 20-year friendships mm-hmm. over a political decision. And where I grew up um, in Minnesota right here, where uh, having disagreements over politics, I grew up in the age of you know, the Hubert Humphreys and the Walter Mondales and but we had you know Republican governors. We, it was always we had neighbors. We didn't, we didn't know if our neighbors were Republican or Democrat or what they felt about this. We just we just you know, all right, that's cool. Let's go have a beer. Uh, not that way anymore. And, and it's just it's just I, I hope it changes. I really do because it's uh, it's really ugly out there, and I think it's taking a toll on people's mental health as well right now and beyond the physical part of what everyone's going through. So. Uh, no, I mean, sports and politics have always been uh, intersected and, and not always in, you know, in a way that people have approved of. And now we've transitioned to that and gone into Colin Kaepernick and we've gone into this and, and Black Lives Matter and how it su- supersedes into different sports. And uh, and there's no one pretty neutral on this. It's either one side or the other. <laughs> You're not going to get along with those people who disagree with you. No, and I, and I think that's how it's been designed through, yeah. like you said, through social media. That you're, you're not going to move any dials. You're no. not going to get anybody's attention unless nope. you yell something so bleeping crazy, <laughs> like "Oh, I'm going right. to yell this over here." But if you yell something down the middle, right? No, nobody cares, and 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 it's it is further dividing everybody. I think it's a it's an interesting dynamic between my kids. 12, 9, and mm-hmm. 6 mm-hmm. are more in tune to current events politically. Are they really? Current events and than I ever was, than I ever really cared about. And and that's to oh. your – and so I think that there's a benefit to that. Like we're asking our young kids right now, go out and vote. You know, take, take this empowerment and take this energy and take this rage that you got. And I know it doesn't feel like you're going to go you mm-hmm. know, punch something, but – if you can just fill in that bubble, you can mark like you're you you are going to make a difference. And like we 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 need to get that to through our, our young kids. And I think that's working. I think we're going to have a huge voter turnout for young people. But at the same time, when we grew up, you know, obviously we're a generation of different generations. But same thing when I grew up, I didn't know what political affiliation my neighbor no. was. There was never a yard sign that was red or blue. No. My my parents weren't talking about this stuff in a polarizing fashion at the dinner table like my never. wife and I do now. And and so it's like we want to empower our young kids, but at the same time, politics is kind of ruining the innocence of our youth. Yeah, I had a chance to talk to Justice Alan Page just the other day for our Viking nice plug for Vikings uh, future Viking school stories. He was doing his thirty third annual Page Foundation, uh, and and uh, Alan's forgotten more about life in terms of the, the justice system than I'll ever know. But he always talks about critical thinking, and I think what I what I do hope from a from a positive standpoint is that kids will mobilize and be. Um, a big part of the solution as much as what's happening now. And they're, they're the ones who will steer this thing back 
on course, if you know what I mean. They're, your kids' ages, they're the ones, the generation that'll, that'll kind of steer this thing in the right direction and, and through their own experiences by the time they become 18, 19. Think about this. We just you know, went through 9-11 uh, anniversary, and this is the first time the kids who were not born uh, when 9-11 happened, that they'll be able to vote in a, in a mm-hmm. presidential election. That's, that's, that's a big, powerful thing for these kids. And I do hope that the next generation does mobilize and becomes more proactive and using their critical thinking that they learn in school. I, I hope the school systems change. I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm very opinionated about, how they need to change the curriculum a little bit and, and really deal with, you know, not just our American history, but current history and really have, you know, uncomfortable conversations that we've talked about with kids of color and in the room and let, let the kids talk to each other about what experiences you've had. Not just throw a bunch of stuff at them about Christopher Columbus and what, what may or may not have happened. Right, right. You know what I mean? Just the, this, that's how I think the conversation will advance, that, that the next generation, teachers, and, and that you're not just being graded on spitting out a bunch of facts that you memorize at night, and, and, but you're really understanding what you know, um, Ahmad and someone else, Billy and so-and-so is having in their life that we're not experiencing. Hell, I didn't grow up around any, any black people here. I grew up in St. Louis Park. Yeah. There wasn't, I don't think we had one or two kids in St. Louis Park High School. We, and I graduated with 900 kids in my class. And I, you know, so not until was, I went to the U and, and was I exposed to any of it? I couldn't walk in their shoes. I, I worked. I mean, my whole life exploded when I went to WCCO and I was working with people, the adults, and I was a, a kid. But, you know, until I had, you know, black friends that told me, hey, man, you don't have no idea what it's like to walk through Dayton's and get followed in the store. Sure. You know, I mean, why, what? What are you, fuck, the yeah, hell are you talking about? Yeah. I was looking for, and this guy who ended up being a judge. He used to be, I, I, his name was Namdi. He used to say, Mark, you have no idea. I'm looking at wallets or something. And the store guy's like following me around the store. I went, damn. Yeah. That must suck. Yeah. Me- meanwhile, the, the white kid over there. pocketing Yeah. He's putting stuff in his long black you know, Anyway, coat. you know what I'm getting at is that I, I think kids are exposed to a lot more today. I hope, you know, and that's, that's what to me is going to change the course of things. Well, I, I love your optimism on that. And I do want to be optimistic, but at the, I'm, I'm sort I want to be too. I'm pessimistic only because as much information and education that our kids have at their fingertips now, right. it's also this idea that they can get ra- radicalized much quicker. And so you're, you're asking for civil discourse and discussion to be taking place in schools. But yet when they're outside of school and they're on their phones and they're on their iPads and they're on their internets and they're on their, their social media – they're only getting fed the information that they like. They're only getting oh, fed the one side of the story. And so when you go back into school to have a civil discussion with mm-hmm. somebody who may be on the other side of things and maybe they're doing the same thing, I think it's going to be harder and harder to have an open mind for these kids because they've only been supported in their ration and their in their thought that everything that they read is the rational way to think. The only the only thing that the only way we should be thinking is what I've been reading on the internet, and or what their parents have been telling, or what them. their parents have been telling. And then kid B is doing the same thing, but on the other side. And all of a sudden now, they grandstand. They don't they don't see each other's points. They're not allowed to see the, each other's points. And then you get this closed mindedness where possibly just becomes so ingrained in just radical thought. Because of the information that is force-fed to you in this social media algorithm that we have, that I'm not sure that <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to take a really strong teacher or a really strong education system to break down that barrier yep. and allow these kids to have 
real conversations. Yeah, things very well might get worse before they get better. I, I don't disagree with that. I think uh, because the current state of where we are right now and, and, and uh, you know, literally when you talk about fires burning out west, I think there's an internal fire going on. And, and how that's going to look after the election, no matter what happens, is going to be something to, to hang on to. And But I, I, I do, maybe I'm more of an optimist about that, about our, our future um, with these kids, that, that they'll figure things out a little bit more. But you know what? It's going to take some special adults uh, to lead the way as well, to, to really have the kind of influence. We all had teachers who had a big influence in our lives. And you know, I, I have uh, such admiration for teachers more today than ever before because they are, you know, these kids are not, we're, they're not just following whatever uh, Miss Carlson or, or Mr. Johnson are telling them in school. They have their own opinions. And I don't mean in high school. I mean your yeah. kids' ages. Yeah. Because they know, they know shit that we didn't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They have telephones. They, they see things. They que- and I think questioning things is important. I mean, we questioned everything. I, I go back to the, I said the Vietnam War. We questioned it. We knew what was going on. We thought it was wrong. We thought, why are we over there? Um, you know, Muhammad Ali says, I ain't got nothing against those Vietnamese, the Viet Cong. What am I supposed to go kill them for? And he got ostracized for it. He lost his, you know, boxing license over it and came back. And But it was just, um, I, I've seen the whole history of it. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm, I'm hopeful that, kids will uh, kind of help drive this bus a little bit in the right direction. Well, the kids, and, and I think, like you said, it's going to take, I think it's going to take the entire system, to be honest with yeah. you. I think it's not going to just be one rogue teacher that takes it upon themselves right. to have this enlightening I, moment and says, you know, I see what's going on here, and this is the curriculum that I want to teach now, and this is the style of which I want to teach now. You might make a difference in a couple kids' lives, right. but we're talking exponential growth. Right. It's going to have to come down to actual education systems, the, the district themselves, a superintendent along with the principals saying, we understand what's going on here, and yep. we need to come up with a plan to let these kids know that there is a proper way to have discussions. You know, There is a proper way to open your mind that maybe one thing that you're thinking today doesn't have to be the same thing you're thinking tomorrow. Right. And and it's okay. It's like it's like no, it's okay to do that. Like that's where I think that a lot of people get stuck. It's like you no, know, you have to have a stance. You got to have a stance on this and and by god that's going to be your stance going forward. I mean, yeah, it's you can uh, get new information and change your mind. It's it's okay. Like nobody it, this is not a test, you know. Uh, and unfortunately, we live in a world where the news cycle it goes minute by minute, forgetting about day by day or week by week. And, and it, for kids to, to consume that and to f- form opinions based on that, you know, their heads are got to be spinning like a top. I mean, that's that's the thing. And they're influenced by everything else on the outside as well, and their friends and, you know, and, and how you navigate that. Uh, uh, I, don't, I, will, I don't envy parents today. <laughs> I just don't. My, my kids are grown up and they are, they're very fully formed in their own opinions about things based on a lot of things. And I'm very proud of both of them because they don't always agree on everything either. But I, I like the fact that they've used their own critical thinking and understanding how they've come to this conclusion. And I don't always agree with everything they say, but they have formed these opinions based on a lot of information and not just one voice. This intersection of politics and sports and human mm-hmm. rights and all this other stuff, where do you see it going? Like, when do you, where, where do you see it sort of stopping? I, 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 I think that we're, we've hit our peak, I think. You know, I think that in, unless, unless there's another incident, you know, unless there's another trigger, um, no pun intended, to like light another fire under people's asses when it comes to sports leagues. But, 
you know, we've we've had the Kaepernick stuff. We've had the apology from Roger Goodell. We've had uh, a lot of stuff with Breonna Taylor. We've had, you know, George Floyd stuff with that has mixed in with all the leagues. And, and now, you know, the social initiative things that the Vikings are doing. Right. You know, where do you see all of this going from a player's from a player standpoint, not not maybe from a, a purpose and what we need. We I think we all agree that change needs to happen. But like, where does it stop with the players? Just do the players just need to be players? Do they have they voiced their opinion enough? Like, I, th- is I it- think it's real change. I don't think you know uh, locking arms or kneeling for the anthem or whatever, however you may interpret it, isn't going to solve anything or change anything. It's really uh, being in, in their communities, and I I, I applaud. The voices of the, the young Viking players, whether it's an Eric Kendricks or Anthony Barr, and they've all had their uh, work very hard in their own charity events and everything else. But I think their voices carry. This is where I think pro football players or, or pro athletes can have a big voice in the community, and that they have to be the the people who who force the change in 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 thinking. And and maybe it's working educationally with with the with the curriculum a little bit, or working within the community, working with the police on solving issues because you can't keep having this action and reaction and, and then, you know, uh, chaos and, and then have expecting any sort of real change. Uh, you know, that's just, that's just, it's a vicious cycle. I don't particularly think the NFL has done a whole heck of a lot. I think it's a lot of, a lot of just lip service. Um, but that's just how way I feel about it. Um, I don't, you know, I don't really think they've done a, from a, from, in, you know, league standpoint, I think they relate to the party on it. But I, you know, hopefully they'll they've seen the light a little bit as well. There are a lot of you know better than anyone, Ben. There's a lot of you know voices that have probably always been there in the NFL. But I think it's about activating things. I mean, it's not a matter of, of what happens on a Sunday afternoon for two minutes. It's about what happens afterwards. And I think that's what we're seeing. At least all I can speak to is what the Vikings are doing and uh, some of the players and, and being involved in this community. And I, I, you know, they're 24, 25 years old, and so they are they're figuring it out themselves. But I. I that's how change is going to happen. And maybe they start working with politicians. Maybe they start working, you know, with uh, city government, you know, and it's, it's, it's not an easy thing, easy mountain to move. I, I, I dread that people aren't going to get into politics anymore, young people, because there's no end in sight. I mean, if you have this sort of viewpoint, you're going to get to Congress and it doesn't matter. You're going to get shut down. If you got that point, it's, it never used to be that way. No, I mean, for and you're almost better going into local government because that's the only way you can really get change if you're in the city council of some city or, or uh, you know, some sort of legislative area locally because there's things that you can maybe do in your community you can't get done on a national level. Oh, I, 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 no I, feel, hell. The, oh, geez, I feel the same way. You look at the, the national politics and it seems like that's too big of a mountain to move. Oh. You know, you, you even if you try to chisel away and carve your own path through that mountain, there's just no way that you're going to get it done in your term that's going to be done. And even if you're trying to do some positive things, by the time the next election cycle comes over, your opponent's right. going to you know beat the shit out of you in the public relations and whatever. And then maybe you don't get elected. And all of a sudden, all that work you did for four years is, is all for naught. I do agree that doing something at the local level is probably the most mm-hmm. rational and the most flexible as far as moving moving change and moving legislation. Uh, but I think the thing that you mentioned that I think is 100% accurate is the activism part of it. Like right. actually being active. It's one thing to lock arms. It's one thing to take a knee. And I think we've kind of gone through all these debates right. on whether or not, right. what, what does that mean to the flag? And what is it? When, we, when I was a part of the NFLPA mm-hmm. uh, and we had our going into the, the lockout season, 
I believe it was the New Orleans Saints game opened the season in 2010. And we, with DeMora Smith, the lead of the mm-hmm. NFLPA, said, we need to show, we need to show these owners that the <laughs> solidarity, this unity that the players have, right. that, that we're willing to stand here mm-hmm. and, and fight. And so he had us lock arms with the New Orleans Saints or lock arms with our own teammates right. and they were across the field doing the same thing. And we all locked arms instead of, you know, saluting or putting our hand above our heart for that. And now was it a powerful moment? I doubt it. No. Like, I don't think so. The like fans who knew what was going on. Yeah, there was never an announcement to the right. fan base, like that what we we're doing. And I'm sure the owners are like, well, that's cute. Yeah. That? Like <laughs> whatever. Like, so, so I think that there are a lot of things being done right now that just look good on face value. But then what the Baltimore Ravens did changed things, at least in the course of the NFL. Now, I agree with you that the NFL has been a little late to the party, but you, that's a microcosm of what's going on. If you can't make big policy changes at the NFL level with Goodell and his, in his office, well, then what can you do at the local level? Yeah. And local levels, these franchises. The Baltimore Ravens put out um, a release saying, we're all about the movement, but we're also about change and mm-hmm. being at the sp- the, mm-hmm. the tip of the spear for change. And they said, here's our list of things that we want done that happen now. Not that's going to happen in two years from now. We want these things done now. And we're, we as an organization are going to do these things. We're right. not asking right. the state or local legislatures to, to pass a law the next session. We're doing this shit on our own. Right. And all of a sudden now, oh, yeah, we're going to US, open U.S. Bank Stadium as a polling place. And, and all, all of a sudden right. Now, right. now, all of a sudden, these places around the country are like, that's how we can make change. That's how we can yep. do it is just do it on our own. Right. I, I, I think, you know, I, I, I've seen you have too as well, you know, the firsthand, uh, you know, the, the after school programs, ACES programs I work with, all these things are positive and, and mentoring kids. And that's getting back to my discussion with Alan Page, um, who has his Page Education Foundation. And he's created, it's been a really a, a cycle of, you know, I mean, how many kids have been mentored? Uh, half a million. Away. It's just astonishing numbers of people who've gone on to pay it forward. And that's really how this happens. But you still have to have an intersection of, of opinions in order for that to move the needle. And that's the challenge because people are going to go on this one path and say, well, yeah, we got poverty is a big problem. Uh, jobs a big problem. This is a big problem. We're going to try to fix it over here. But then once we get to that level, maybe the man over here is going to say, oh, that's too bad. You've got to go back in here. How do you intersect them? That's going to be... The biggest challenge for, for uh, kids, and that's why I hope that I'm still as optimistic as, as I am right now that this will happen. Think about what our society would be like right now in these big issues if we didn't have COVID to deal with. Oh, like think of think of just 2020 was was just about social injustice, right? Like let's just say, which I, you know, this is a whole nother. I, I it blows my fucking mind that Minneapolis, Minnesota is the epicenter for worldwide protests and unrest. Like, never in my wildest dreams did I think— It was for a while. I the, don't know if it the, still is. The bold but... north was the impetus right. to make all of this happen, right? Um, so that's a whole other discussion. But <laughs> think about the energy and the time that we could—we all as a society could put into just debating sure. just that one issue— but then, yeah. then now we've got to debate whether people Pandemic. can wear masks. Yeah. Now we got to debate whether or not uh, this these are essential workers, and this is and this is happening over here. Like my goodness, like these are 
two huge major life events that happened in yeah, our I, lifetimes I, all coming together and colliding in the same year. I mean, I lived through the 60s. I lived through 1968 as a high school kid and assassinations of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy and, and all the things that went on, the Vietnam War, everything that happened socially. And you're thinking, man, this is crazy. I don't think there'll ever be another year like 1968. Well, 2020 just topped, topped them, <laughs> just topped it. Uh, in the middle of all this, and I'm sure you've had the same discussion with your wife many, many times, or even if you've gone out and with friends or gone out to get something to eat, how many times you've looked at each other and you go, man, this just feels weird. Oh, yeah. Every Everything just feels off. Yeah. No matter what you're doing to normalize your life, it's off. And I think that this is something that, that it's just been the perfect storm, literally and figuratively, of everything that's gone on from social unrest to the pandemic to you know, my kid's out in the West Coast, and he's he can't leave the house because he, they can't breathe out there. And it's like, holy shit. I mean, I can't travel to go visit anybody because, you know, the <laughs> restaurants are closed. And it's like, oh, man. Anyway, I we got to laugh. got to find our senses of, sense of humor. Can't go to concerts to laugh or can't go to listen to our favorite music. So, the hell? <laughs> Which brings us back kind of to the original point yeah. was um, you're busy as hell because football's back. Listen, yeah. You know, you, you've got a sense of normalcy. The Big Ten Absolutely. sounds like they're coming back. College football, you know, you know, three-fifths of it is playing football right now. Now it sounds like, you know, four and maybe the, the whole chunk, uh, five out of five power conferences are going to be playing. But slowly but surely, I think we're understanding, like, we as a country need I, – I hate to use the word distraction mm-hmm. because it's not that we want to forget all these things are going on. But man, we just need some entertainment. Like, Absolutely. I, you know, you're a movie guy. Like, yeah. how I miss going to movie theaters. I, and oh. I don't even go to movie theaters as much as you did. But I love taking my kids to it's a the movie best. theater, getting a, a big bucket of popcorn. Screw you, kids. I'm getting my own large. Yeah. Don't share. I'm not sharing. Right. With you all get your own. You, you know, got two hours, and yeah. it's just you and the screen. Yeah, you and the screen, and you're just. You're just soaking it in. You're shutting yeah. your brain off. You're thinking about what's going on in the movie, and, and you're done. That's and, you, it. and you walk out with a little bit more of a pep in your step, and you're like, wow, that, w- that was worth it. Yeah. You know, at least sports, wherever you want to f- sit on it as far as agreeing or disagreeing if they're playing, it is nice. I got to think that there's a lot of people that, even though the ratings were down, that Sunday was a nice breath of fresh air of like, man, we, we got – we got NFL football back. Yeah, we have NFL football back, and we have pretty much you know all the sports are moving towards their championships right now. And whether you're a hockey fan, a basketball fan, a football fan, a baseball fan, I mean, it's all kind of there for you. I mean, we went from like five months of nothing, literally nothing, uh, to everything at the same time, including you know we got the golf championships, and so whatever you want to watch, it's there for you. And we're, you're one click away, and you can turn up the sound a little bit, and maybe it's not doesn't sound like there's anybody there. Maybe there are no fans at the game, but, hey, it's still entertainment, and it's still fun, and it gives you something to talk about Yeah. Uh, other than, you know, the rest of what's going on in the world. And we all uh, need that. Were you always a sports fan? Like, obviously. I, we- yeah, I grew up as a I mean, I grew up in, not that far from here at KFAN. Uh, my dad uh, started taking me to go for football games when I was, like, nine years old. I went to the Rose Bowl at Memorial Stadium. So I grew up with, you know, when the Twins came to town, the Vikings came to town, I had, you know, season tickets to the Vikings, a dollar a ticket, sat in the end zone, that whole thing, you know, and watched games. And, and uh, uh, so, yeah, I absolutely. When I, The timing of it for me being a kid and having the Vikings and Gophers and Twins come to town and having my heroes, you know, it just kind of launched everything into my, my love of sports, you know, playing baseball and everything. But it just kind of, what that's what we did, you know, and 
ran around the neighborhood and left the doors open all night and came home when it got dark and you were hungry. So, you know, it's, it's so like it wasn't one of those things where you're going to, you're going to journalism school and, uh, and nope. they're like, yeah, you know, uh, there's just kind of a shortage of sports guys. So maybe you should like, nah. oh, well, okay. I kind of like, I kind of like I, one sport and I'll, maybe I'll try it. And then you just kind of like developed a love for it. Yeah. I think a lot of it from, from a, from a sports cat, I mean, from that, I, without even knowing it, I think the one thing that I, I hope kids still do this. I use my imagination a lot. I used to make up games in my head. You know, I throw the ball against the steps and create scenarios where the, you know playing the Yankees and whatever inning it was, and I had people going through the lineup. And mm-hmm. I, I remember using all, always using that sort of creativity I had in my head. And eventually, when I got a you know a knock on the door, basically from my my neighbor, and he said, you know, I could come hang out at WCCO when I was a junior in high school. I mean, that obviously changed my whole life. But I was in awe of everybody that was down there. It was like you know. Someone once said that Joe Garagiola said it was like walking in the clubhouse and the guys in the bubblegum cards came alive. That's the way it was with walking in that newsroom. And for whatever reason, they didn't make me leave. And I just absorbed it all like a sponge. And, uh, yeah, I had a love for it. I just didn't know how it was ever going to materialize. You know, I didn't know jack shit about anything. I just was listening, kept my mouth shut, my ears open. Yeah. And uh, just soaked it in until. Where do you think your life would be if you hadn't had that neighbor? Oh, man, Ben. If that neighbor wasn't there. I, I think about that a lot. I have no what idea. What else were you interested in? Like, what well, else? I think I mean, you, my mom wanted me to be a, a pharmacist. Guy. Like, you're a yeah. driven guy. You, you know, would have I, landed I, something successful. I probably would have ended up in some sort of either, uh, you know, writing capacity, maybe a copywriter, some sort of writing, uh, public relations. I think as, as I got older and I was pretty shy as a kid, I, I may have ended up in some sort of PR job, maybe wanted to go work for a team or something like that. You know, I may have very well done that. Um, I regretted maybe looking back on it. I, I wish I would have done really kind of maybe gotten the play-by-play part of it a little bit because, you know, the nightly sports stuff, as much as, you know, I enjoyed it, I, you know, I, I, I looked at a Kevin Harlan who was me like the best of the best. I went, man, that would have been so cool to be that good at what he does and to start that young and to have that ability to, to be a play-by-play guy early on. I would have loved to have done a little bit of that, but I never really – I didn't really have a chance because I was locked into what I was doing on a nightly basis. But isn't that what you th- – don't you think that w- is what made you great at what you did? You know, and I, I have to think that there's a lot of successful people, you know, that's the whole 10,000-hour rule. Right. If you're going to – Oh, yeah. If you're going to put in 10,000 hours to do this, that means there's 10,000 hours that you're not doing something else. Correct. So I, I got to imagine that Kevin Harlan, if he's ever posed with that question, is like, man, I, I really wish I – yeah. Could have gone, could have done this, or experimented with this, or explored that. Like, Experiment's a good word. Yeah, but if you did that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be have done where that. you are. Yeah, I, you know, no, I don't, a, I don't regret it. I yeah. mean, it, it it propelled me into a career that I never would have expected. But a lot of damn, it was a lot of hard work. I mean, just you know, bearing myself into preparation, and you know, this is making the transition from football to broadcasting. I mean, you have to devote that same energy, that same passion, that same willingness to do what it takes. And I worked with a lot of athletes, you know, from Ahmad Rashad who wanted to get in this business. I could tell within 10 minutes that they were going to be successful in broadcasting post-football. Uh, and I, I could name them all. And I worked with a lot of them. Yeah. And I knew I knew Ahmad was going to make it because he, he wanted to cover everything. You know, he wanted to, he, he didn't say no to covering a high school boys basketball game on a Friday night. Yeah. I'm too good for that. No, he you go do it. You go away. I mean, especially when you're transitioning like, Absolutely. You know, like he was doing. Yeah, he was uh, one of the first ones. Yeah. I mean, I helped him a lot, but that's okay. I got a lot of help along the way. So, no, I have no regrets about that at all. But uh, I'm still enjoying it. That's the thing. I enjoy what I'm doing. And it's fun being back into, coming back to where we started from to, uh, I'm flattered that the Vikings, you know, want to use me. And it's like, well, hell, that's just, why, why would I say no to that? Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Are you crazy? A lot of, I mean, there's 30 other people who love to do this. They ask me. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I love working with you guys. It's just, it's fun because they're my friends and it's, uh, it's fun. Win or lose. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a team, it's a teamwork thing too, as you know. It's, it's, you feel like you're, and I miss that part of it from the TV broadcast part is that you work as a team and then the game, the game is over and the broadcast is over and you say, hey, we did that really well. We could do this a little bit better. I miss all that. Yeah. yeah. That's the part I miss. Yeah. And it, and it is good. Like I, I try to, to keep that in perspective myself of just like, Man, I, they could have asked anybody else. You know, they could they could ask somebody else to do that. Even if it's just, um, you know, a, a weekly, a one one off right. Zoom hit. You know, and they're like, hey, could you do this and just talk about our our linebackers? Yeah, yeah, that that's great. As long as it can work on my schedule, I'd love to do it. And I'm like, I want to make sure that I'm always appreciating that because yep. there's only 32 teams. There's only <laughs> 30 32 VENs of the world. Correct. And uh, and there's a lot of people, and you've seen a lot of people want to do this type of work. So, man, that, good for you. That's why. Like, just don't say no too often. Like if no. you're going to say no, it's got to yeah, be. Have a reason for yeah, it. Yeah, have a reason for it. Big reason for okay. it. Okay. Um, you want to get weird? Yeah, I got a couple of minutes. Yeah, let's get weird. Okay. So I've got a series of questions, right. and this is not this is not one of those lightning round things. I'm sure. not looking for like oh whatever the first thing comes yeah. off the top of your head. You can think about these these all questions, right. all right? Um, but they may get a little random. They get, may right. get a That's little weird. Fine. All right. Uh, do you prefer your pizza slices square or in slices? Slices. Okay. I have to think, think about that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm an old because sometimes you know if there's too much grease on them. I learned this from New York. In New York, you got to fold it over oh, and then yeah. let the grease drip out. And those, you buy the pizza on the street in New York City. And you're in a rush. You gotta let that sucker drip out of the on the paper plate. Then it's ready to eat pepperoni. No, just take all that grease oh, in, Rose. No, I get it on my can't shirt. Can't I gotta go on the oh. air. Oh, man. <laughs> but, you know, I have a theory though. If you eat square cut pieces, you lose count, and so that the pieces don't matter. Like, it's, I it's thought a, of that. I feel like it's like you're you're sort of yeah. eating without restriction at all. That's like, uh, that's probably why I try not to do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Would you rather be handy or funny? I wish I was handy, but since I'm not, I'd rather be funny. Um, I think you develop your own little sense of humor. And I think the key thing, obviously, is I work with these these guys in the morning show in particular are common. You gotta be yourself, man. You can't you can't force being funny. You just either yeah, yeah. you got you got it. Sometimes you, you know, it's like any comedian. You lay an egg when you say something. I thought that was gonna be funny. No, it sucked. No, I'd rather be funny. I'm not handy enough to ever change that. But I, I have a lot of admiration for people who are handy. Trust me, I uh, really do. It would save us a lot of money if if we were handy. Man, I am no not kidding. handy either. Really? No. I'm surprised about no, that. No, I'm not handy. Well, I appreciate that. No. Uh, what is your worst physical or personality trait? <sighs> I would say I wish I was more. I think at times. It's really weird for me to say this. I think I could still be more curious than I am. I find myself, because I think that's where I kind of grew up. I, I felt there were really many more opportunities to be more curious and ask more questions about people who I've come in contact with, which is really weird since I'm a reporter. It's something that I've developed over the years and gotten so much better at, but being around a lot of really amazing people, I can kind of go back and go, God, I wish I would have asked Harmon Killebrew this, this, or this. When right. I've had personal time with him, or all the people I've been in contact with, I had a personal relationship, a professional relationship with him. I wish I was been more curious. So I think that's my my yeah. personality yeah. that I, I think I wish I'd been better at would have been more curiosity. Yeah, which may not to give you the out, but 
because you're in a professional environment, even though you develop a personal relationship, like you've got to get through the checkpoints and the bullet points of the professional part yeah. of it before you can really get in. I think even with personal, with friends too, I think there were times yeah. I could have been better. I could have been more curious and okay. asked better questions. All right. I love your honesty. Yeah, that was honest. Um, what's your morning routine? <laughs> uh, when I'm working here at the fan, uh, let's just go I'll, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday mornings. I set my alarm for 640. I never, ever... Once in every three months, it goes off. I get up on my own. Oh, really? Uh, every time. So you're I, not a snoozer? No, no. Okay. I'm almost, almost all of my entire adult life, I've never had to use an alarm clock. I set it. So what time do you wake up then? 6.15, 6.20. You bet you set it for 6.40. 6.40, just in case. I, I've prided myself. I don't think I've ever been late to the point where I've missed, overslept and missed uh, an assignment or anything. Uh, so. Wow. That's my routine. Then I get up and I, you know, get wash up a little bit and have a little breakfast, start going through, you know, social media, see what, what I missed overnight, you know, and, and then uh, come on in here. I eat some breakfast and come on in. And I work out with a trainer a couple of days a week Love afterwards. It. Love it. Uh, do you believe in intelligent life outside the earth? <laughs> I, uh, man, this is a Corey Cove discussion. Um, I want to believe that there is because I think it's infinite to, I mean, I'm, I, I'm a, I was a big space guy growing up. I just have to believe that in this big solar system of ours that there's some sort of intelligent life out there that we haven't been exposed to. And we, we're such a small speck out here that, um, you know, if there are UFOs and there are, there's intelligent life, it doesn't mean it's ever come even close to our little dot in the solar system. So, yeah, deep down, I want to believe it. Yeah, I do. I do. Let me take it a step further then. Yeah. Do you believe we've ever been visited by intelligent life? No. I don't. I, I just don't. I think this whole area, what is it, area 19, area 73, 51, 51 what the hell it's called. I don't think there's uh, little little green people or ETs sitting out there. Um, you know, I just, I, I know there have been unidentified flying objects. There's no, After all these years and all the sophistication and technology, I don't think people have been kidnapped and, you know, gone through physical examinations on spaceships. <laughs> you know, probed my eye. Probe me. <laughs> uh, it, it always seems I like wish. The, same, the same story happening to the same type I know, of people. Some farm place <laughs> out in the middle of North Dakota. Never happens. In, you know, it's never some like Wall downtown Street Downtown St. Something. Louis. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, how about this one? If guaranteed to be unharmed, what extreme activity would you try? Wow. I've done, uh, you know, my hot air ballooning was as extreme as I've gotten probably. I would probably say, um, I think skydiving for sure. I mean, at my age right now, I think absolutely skydiving uh, would be, uh, I just love that. I would I love the feeling of just floating like that. And because I think the hot air ballooning as little as that was, I mean, I really enjoyed doing it. But I, I would say skydiving. Okay. Uh, what's a sport you wish you were better at? Oh, man. Uh, I would say basketball. Uh, I love playing tennis. You know, that was probably my best sport uh, growing up and when I was in young adulthood. I played a lot of tennis. Uh, but I, I didn't really became, become a really tall, you know, heftier person until my mid-30s or something. But I wish I had really played a lot more basketball. Yeah. I was going to say tennis, but yeah. you got me with tennis was Well, tennis was the... Tennis was a sport. I mean, I, 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 if I had really pushed myself, I took a lot of tennis lessons. I would, I think, I could have been I'm not quite guardsy, Dustin Guard like, but certainly right. better. Uh, now, this one is good for you. What athlete in their prime mm -hmm. would you have traded places with? Wow. In their prime, 
I would um, I I think looking at baseball, which was my favorite sport growing up, you know, and I think about you know the people I've come in contact with, I would probably go with, and people are probably going to think me. I'm going to say Joe Maurer. Um, I think Dave Winfield because Dave Winfield was arguably the best athlete I've ever been around. I mean, really? Yeah, I mean, he was. Well, wasn't he drafted in multiple sports? Yeah, I mean, he, he, I followed guy. him. And, you know, he's a great pitcher in college baseball at St. Paul Central. He was a terrific basketball player, drafted by the Vikings, never played a down in, in, in football. But Winfield was just a spectacular athlete. And I think watching him in his prime, um, both with San Diego and then with the Yankees, was uh, really a treat. I really, I, thought, I was in awe of that guy. All right. Uh, you have a private plane full of gas. <laughs> Where am I going? Where do you go? <laughs> Can I go anywhere? You can go anywhere you want. Uh, big island, big island of Hawaii. Ooh, yeah. I think that's. I was watching The Descendants, the movie, the other night uh, with my wife, and I, I love the movie. It's really got a lot of you know, a lot of different meanings with the music, the music soundtrack in that movie, and the, the scenery. Just it makes me just my blood pressure just drops just watching it because I can I can close my eyes and smell what Hawaii's like. I, you know, I my my best friends that grew up with live there, so I mean the Big Island to me is real Hawaii. And um, I would absolutely go there and just stay there. Come get me like five years from now. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I don't know if I would have chosen that, but I will say this from a from from a commonality. There's mm-hmm. something about the Polynesian culture that, oh, that I love. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I, and, it, and I had no exposure to it until I went to San Diego. Right. And, Interesting. And San, and San Diego is a very but, diverse place because it's, it's a true melting pot from people around the country, which is why we don't have – we didn't have any Charger right. fans because everybody was from some other place. But right. there was a big Asian uh, influence and there's a big Polynesian influence. And, man, I just – something, something about that generational yeah. love of their families and understanding their history that I don't think a lot of us – they have such high regard for their, for their grandmas, for their grandpas, for how they got to where they are. And you can feel and still sense that a lot of Hawaii. That, that is the way it is. Yeah. And you don't get that almost in any other culture anymore. Yeah, and I think and I there's think something about it from a – there's a machismo, okay, yeah. about their culture and about their men. Right, right. But at the same time, when you're around them, they're they're so Gentle. outwardly, like, giving yeah. and emotional and right. loving. Yeah. And they're like, here's this big, powerful person <laughs> that could smash you like a bug, right. but he'd just as soon hug you. Exactly. And, and tell you how he feels. Like, they're – Man, there there is something about the dichotomy between like being macho, strong, but also right. being being gentle and cool. Okay, last question. Yes, sir. Um, toot your own horn. What is something that you're actually proud of? Not, you know, oftentimes we're always told to be humble and and uh, you know, kind of just kind of push those those compliments aside. But what's something in your career, your life that you're like, man? I'm proud that I did that or I turned out like that or I did whatever. Well, I, I, without question, I think it's just being an engaged father. I mean, I think overall and the, the fact that it, my career arc took on a, a turn where I wasn't home as much as I wanted to be, but life worked out that way. And my wife became kind of a single mom in a lot of ways. So when I, I always devoted my weekends when I had them to my to being around my kids and uh, I think learning what I didn't get from my dad, who grew up in a World War II, post-World War II generation from an, an affection standpoint, a really 
integrating kind of a personal thing. I wanted to learn from that. I wanted to be much better with my kids. And I think now as they're adults, one's 34, the other one's, you know, 30. I mean, it's, I have that relationship with them. And it, it's the most satisfying thing that I have in my life. Um, because I remember there's the line, and you talk about movies in, in Lost in Translation, where Bill Murray's laying in bed there, Scarlett Johansson in a platonic way, and talking about having kids. And they go, well, um, you'll find out that the most interesting creatures that you'll ever experience in life, you know, and they are. And I think being a father and still being engaged and having adult conversations with them now, and but that started because not because I took them to Blockbuster on Friday nights, but because I, I was interested in what they had to think and say is the proudest thing that, I, I'm, in, uh, that I'm involved with every single day. Yeah. yeah. Rosie, you're the best, man. Well, thanks. This was, this was a lot of fun, yeah. man. Yeah. Really I really enjoyed it. I hope it. it wasn't too much for you. But, no, uh, not at all. I really got a kick out of it. Now I have to go talk to Common. So. Oh, good luck with that. Yeah, thanks. All right, thanks, bud.